We're all creatures of habits, but oddly, we seem to be far better at sticking with our bad habits than creating new habits, even though we know the bad ones may actually not be so good for us. Well, I know a guy who has a methodology that helps you change any habit and start any habit one tiny step at a time. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. And later on, don't forget to rate and review this podcast so that we can let people know how great it is. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. And I'm thrilled to be talking today to BJ Fogg, behavior scientist and director of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University. In the early 1990s, BJ was the first scientist to systematically study how computers would influence human behavior. And for the past two decades, he's designed a new Stanford course every year, including courses about creating peace, connecting people to nature, and reducing screen time. BJ also teaches industry innovators how to create products and services that increase people's health, financial well-being, productivity, and happiness. He's personally coached over 40,000 people to create good habits. And his upcoming book, Tiny Habits, shares simple but surprisingly effective methods for transforming your life. You can learn more about BJ and his book at bjfog.com and at tinyhabits.com. And the book will, of course, be available on Amazon and at all major booksellers. So, BJ, welcome. Thank you for being here. Sarah, thank you for having me. And... You know, habits one bit at a time. It's so interesting, the roots of your your habits, that what you really do is you help businesses design, uh, my word, addictive interfaces, right? So that what do people do to help people create habits of using products? Is that is that the core of it? Um, actually, no. So this is a really interesting question to start with. That's not what I do at all. Oh, well, um, good. Yeah, correct today, me. Yeah, so, uh, what, in 1993, I started studying how computers might influence people's attitudes and behaviors. And back then, that was considered crazy. But I first thought, this is going to happen. Computers will be designed to influence people's behaviors. And let's understand this early so we don't get caught off guard. And so in the 1990s, as an experimental psychologist, which is my training, I ran experiments to show, yes, you can create machines that will change human behavior. I presented that work, and then in 2006, years later, I warned the FTC in a hearing about the dangers coming with persuasive technology, and unfortunately, nobody really paid attention. And then in about 2010, my research shifted away from technology, and I was, my lab members and I were just more interested in human behavior and human habits and how to help people be healthier and more financially financially secure and so on. And so, yes, I've long been interested in behavior change, uh, but always from the perspective of how do we help people um, become the best version of themselves. So it's really in the interest of everyday people, not so much about helping companies be profitable. That's not very interesting to me. Well, I, was, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to make you sound so mercenary. It really was, and in the direct response business, and I'm totally digressing here, by the way, because we really are going to okay. talk about habits and tiny habits. In the direct <laughs> response industry, we're all about getting people to, to act, right? To make So how does yeah. the interplay between what we tell people, how we present things, influence their behaviors, right? So yeah. I, I didn't mean well, it in a mercenary, uh, disgusting and, and, way. No, no, it, it, it's a fun way to start because yeah. uh, it helps 
uh, lay the foundation and it helps to, there, there's been stuff in the media about me that's actually wrong. Uh, and, you know, they make stuff up about me. So it helps set the record straight a little bit. The media makes there, stuff up? No way. Can you believe that? No. Yes, actually. <laughs> Never and, happened. Um, not but, not so, bottom line personal. We fact check. <laughs> well, let, let's get to the bottom line. There are two bottom lines here, both for companies creating products and services and for everyday people creating habits. There are two things that I've discovered over the years that matter more than anything else, and I call them maxims. Max, fog maxim number one is this. Help people do what they already want to do. So if you're creating a product or service, that's what you gotta do. Help people do what they already wanna do. If you're trying to change your own behavior, that's what you have to do. It's help yourself do what you already want to do. So that's number one. Number Fog maxim number two is help people feel successful. So again, it applies to business, it applies to your personal life. If you're creating a product or service, you need to help people feel successful. That's what wires in uh, the habit, that's what wires in engagement, that's what keeps people using it. If you're trying to change your own life, same thing, help yourself feel successful. It's exactly that, and now we're getting right to the core, right to the heart of it, Sarah. Yes. It's exactly that. It's the feeling of success that will wire a habit into your life. So if you do a behavior and feel successful, you are much more likely to do it again if you do a behavior and you don't feel successful, you'll avoid it. So the key, the key, and we're getting right to the heart of it, is emotions create habits. It's not repetition, it's not frequency, it's not all this other garbage you've heard out there, it's emotion. And the emotion in tiny habits, uh, the emotion that I advocate is the feeling of success. So a big part of my work is teaching people or helping them or guiding them on how do you, how do you help yourself feel successful as you're creating new habits? Okay, so you just gave an hour's worth of information in 35 seconds. So now, bottom line. Gotcha. <laughs> you did. Yeah, bottom line, not. top line. All right, so let's unpeel it a little bit. And let's actually start okay. about um, habits in terms, and I was actually going to ask you, my first question before I digressed was going to be, what is okay. it about habits that we're all so attached to? Um, and in fact, you talk about people feeling successful, that people do things that they feel successful at, yet yeah. we all have a lot of bad habits. So yeah. there's something, so what's going on in terms of what, what do we attach to that we allow these habits to control our lives? Yeah, let me answer that. There's kind of two levels that I'll answer that. First, kind of higher level. There's a lot, been a lot of talk about habits for hundreds of years. Um, and more recently, in recent history, 1890 with William James in his chapter four about habits. Now, even, oh, I want to say 15 years ago, the word habit was mostly considered a negative word. And, uh, for example, about mm, 10 years ago, I worked with the Weight Watchers, the innovators at Weight Watchers, helping them revise their program and really streamline and simplify it. And so we got to a point where I said, okay, it's like one of the three main pillars here is about habits. And they're like, oh, BJ, we can't use the word habits because it's so negative. We're gonna call it routine. And I was like, well, okay, fine, whatever. But it is about things people ever do every day. Since then, Sarah, the word habits has become a much more positive word. So back then it was negative enough that a company like Weight Watchers didn't want to talk about, hey, create habits. It was great routine. Right. 
But now things have shifted. So habits is, is a much more positive word. It's been interesting for me to see how that's shifted over time. So that's kind of high level answer. Next in our everyday life, really our happiness, our productivity, so much of our life experience is driven by habits. So we're right to think about habits and be a little obsessed with habits, that's for sure. Well, but like, what is it, I mean, as you said, like, why is it so easy for us to attach ourselves to bad habits? When you and I spoke a couple <laughs> weeks ago, you talked about, well, like, why did I lay in bed and scroll for an hour rather than get up yeah. and get on with my day, right? There's well, something else going on that we are rewarding ourselves in some way for these yeah, either exactly. bad habits or good well, habits. Yeah, the answer is simpler than, you know, I, I kind of pointed it out already. It's emotions create habits. So if you do a behavior, and you have a positive emotion while you do it or immediately after, that behavior will become more automatic. Your brain will rewire and will do that uh, more automatic, in other words, without thinking. So laying in bed and scrolling on the iPad, you know, feels good and, you know, you're soothing something or maybe, you, you know, you're not dealing with your problems in the morning and so on. So that's an emotional response and that can wire in a habit. Good habits and bad habits, they all form in the same way. So nature doesn't say this is a good habit, this is a bad habit, we say that. Right. But they all form in the same way. It's, there's an emotional reaction you have when you do uh, a behavior or an action. And if that is a positive one, you're more likely to do it in the future without thinking very much. And if the emotion is really strong and it's immediate, then the habit can wire in substantially. It can have it. It can wear in very, very quickly. Like if you give a your teenage daughter a mobile phone, think of her emotional reaction to having the phone. Boom! Instant habit. It's not going to take 21 days or 60 days or all that baloney that people talk about. How, how long it takes to get a habit? It's all a function of emotion and the strength and timing of that emotion. So if we do a behavior that we consider a bad habit and we have a positive emotional response to it, or it gets rid of a negative emotion. Let's say we're bored and we do something, we're no longer bored, so it's a net gain in positive emotion, then that will become a more automatic behavior. It will become more habitual. So I think I'm gonna know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are all habits created equal? Because we have little habits like, um, uh, eating cookies when I shouldn't eat cookies yeah. and we have big <laughs> habits like lying or yeah. right so um, I mean and some are easier to stop than others presumably like what do they fall into different classes or is it all literally the same thing that either I have an emotional response that reinforces that behavior or you know either what do we do we like to go toward pleasure and avoid pain um, yeah. so so it does. So it's not about lying is a bigger deal than cookies. It's really what it's doing for us emotionally. Yeah, they 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 all form in the same way. But then there's a bunch of different ways we can view them or categorize them. Uh, some will be stickier than others. Some habits. There's a thing I call temporary habits, where you have it for a period of time, and that's okay. Uh, some habits will be very, very tiny, but hugely impactful. Some habits will be big, but have a very small impact. 
So there's a whole bunch of different ways you could look at it, but like you said, and like we just discussed, they all form in the same way. It's, it's the same mechanism that wires these um, behaviors into our brain to become more automatic. Gotcha. So we're going to now talk, we're going to go on to, because you've developed your, the, you've kind of, two for the BJ Fogg method of, of um, developing habits, and you've got the BMAP method. Are those the variations or extensions of, of your, you've got this methodology? I love that question. They're related. So I, in about 2007, I discovered what I call the Fogg behavior model. And it's the, it's the fundamental um, model of, for all human behavior. And it's, a model is a way of thinking. So a lot, um, so it's basically the behavior, any behavior happens when there's motivation to do the behavior, ability to do the behavior, and a prompt. So those three components, motivation, ability, prompt. And that's the, the behavior model. And that applies to all behaviors and all cultures for all ages. Now, what motivates people is different. Their ability factors are different and how you prompt them are different. But that model, B equals MAP, is a universal model. Now, it was looking at my own behavior model, Sarah. The, there's a graphical, there's a two-dimensional version of it where it lays out an X, Y axis. And I was looking at my own behavior model one day, and I was like, oh, this lower right corner, this is interesting. This shows me that if the, if the behavior is really, really easy to do, you don't need very much motivation to do it. In contrast, if it's hard to do, you need high levels of motivation. So I looked at that corner where it was like, oh, really easy to do, motivation could be high or low. And I thought, wow, that means if I take a habit that's really, really easy to do, <laughs> then I don't have to worry about motivation that much. Even if my motivation is low, I can do it. So then I started playing around with that in my own life. This would have been about 2011 goofing around and I started creating all these habits like really easily. And it's like, okay, this is kind of crazy. I'm creating all these, yes, they're tiny, uh, so but they're habits. Like, what were some of those habits? Opinion. What were some of those habits that you were practicing um, on? It was, you know, fill up a glass of water right after breakfast, just take my vitamins out, put them in a bowl. Uh, when my feet touch the floor first thing in the morning, I say, it's going to be a great day. One of them <laughs> that I hid for a while but I'm public about it, is after I pee, I do two push-ups. Not 20, not 50, not 32. So, you know, after I pee, I do two push-ups. You know, whether I'm, want, you know, so it doesn't take much motivation to do two push-ups. Well, I was just, so actually, I, I watched it. you talk about that in public restrooms as well, you do the two push-ups? <laughs> no, no, no. Only I, at home. Yeah, I played around with a bunch of versions of it. And in public restrooms, what I'll do is I'll remember it and smile. Uh. <laughs> uh, or sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll do. If nobody's in there, I'll do push-ups against the counter. There's no way I'm putting my hands on the floor. Oh, thank you. Just want to clarify. I used to do it in hotel rooms, right? And then I thought, wait a minute, no, you're going to put a towel down if you're doing it. And yeah. So it's really when I'm working at home, which I do most of the time. Right. And my dog has watched me, little Millie, my uh, Westie, has watched me do thousands and thousands of push-ups. She knows to just sit there and watch me. And so the, the, the tiny version of that habit is just two push-ups. I can do more if I want to. You know, that's extra credit, and often I will do more. But what I learned by looking at my own behavior model and then applying it was, wow, if you make it really tiny, then you can be consistent. You can be reliable. 
and our swings in motivation, which happen because we're human beings, our motivation's going to uh, shift around. It won't take your effort. And then I started teaching it to others, and then bam, you know, thousands and thousands of people later, this is uh, the easiest way to bring new habits and shift up. It works really well, and it can even be fun if, if you look at it like an exploration, like you're solving a puzzle or you're going on a journey of discovery. So let me also ask you, so some of these things, you say they're tiny habits, but, you know, and I think people get a little stuck in their lives and they, they have their habits and they're attached to their bad habits and they, or they say that they can't develop new good habits. They've got all their excuses and we'll get to that. But I think it's important to, to actually look at that the smallest thing can have a yeah. really big impact in your life. So even if it's fill up a glass of water, that can expand to you need to drink more water. Like that, like those are important. Yeah. Even small things, when you add together, make a big difference in your life. Did those have big, big impacts in your life in terms of just living a healthier life? Exactly. And exactly. Sarah, you're, you're you're going into a territory that I love so much. It's like, what's the smallest thing with the biggest impact? And I've long loved, I've long been a fan of simplicity, even before Tiny Habits. Just like, okay, what's the simplest thing with the biggest impact? And I look at, this is going to sound odd, but I look at other people in the world who have done very small, simple things that were amazing, like uh, some of uh, Picasso's work, some of Mozart's, certainly uh, Charles Schultz, what he does in his seemingly simple cartoons is very sophisticated. And in some ways, those things have been an inspiration for me. What is, and certainly with tiny habits and my own habits, what's the smallest new habit I can have that would have the biggest impact? And that's, it's going to be different for each person, but one of them that I know for sure is the habit that I described to you, what you say first thing in the morning, where as soon as you put your feet on the floor, you say, it's going to be a great day. And that has a big impact on people. And in my book, Tiny Habits, I tell people, you know, how to create habits and how to stop habits and so on. And I don't prescribe, do this habit, do that habit. You know, it's not a book about, you know, here are the 10 specific habits you need. It's a book about how to create any habit you want. But there is one habit that I prescribe for everybody, and that is this one. And I call it the Maui habit for various reasons. The what? The Maui habit? I call it the Maui habit. Uh, for as soon as your feet hit the floor, say it's going to be a great day. And I do prescribe that one. And then the rest of the book, I tell you how to make any habit that you want or stop any habit. But that is one that's very small and very powerful. Yeah. Well, and I think you also talk about that when you try, because again, when people try to change, it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. They create these massive, unattainable yeah. things. I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week. And you talk about that you can't suddenly decide I'm going to run a marathon. But if you break it down and say, I'm going to walk 10 minutes a day, just start there. Yeah. It's far more yeah. attainable and, and you know, able to stick with. Yeah. So as you saw in my book, you know, there's these true stories of people using tiny habits in my work to have these transformative changes in their life. You know, stopping the sugar addiction, repairing a relationship with an adult child. Uh, losing weight and keeping it off and so on. And so if I could give you the whole book in a podcast, I would, but I can't. But let me uh, summarize for people listening here, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of bottom line, and you get right to the point. One way to think about it 
Yes, and we'll get maybe more into the tiny habits method in that. Well, we're going to. But think about designing for consistency. As you decide, hey, I'm going to get more fit, I'm going to eat differently, or I'm going to reduce my stress, or I'm going to have better relationships, think of your the new habit plan that you're putting together as, can I be super-duper consistent on this? Let's make it so easy and so tiny that I can just get it 100% consistent, even if I'm busy or sick or stressed or distracted, can I still do it? And if the answer is yes, go for it. If the answer is no, like uh, for many people exercising an hour a day, they get all excited about it, but can you really be consistent on that? And the answer is no, scale it back to a level where you can be consistent, where you can't. So set yourself up for success. And you can do that, I'll just kind of give a, it's not the best answer, but it's a good one. Design for consistency. Make sure you can do it consistently. Right. Okay. So now let's go back, and that may be somewhere. So I want to dissect your equation. The behavior equals motivation plus mm-hmm. ability plus prompt. So let's break that down. Um, so motivation, what's, what's, what's enough motivation? So, you know, is some people don't change their eating habits until they've had a heart yeah. attack and are in the yeah. emergency room, right? So how can you create motivation? motivation? Some people, like, they wallow in their bad habits, um, yeah. uh, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so where, how, do, how do they find the motivation, identify the motivation? Does motivation, does it have to be extreme enough? And does it matter, right? Yeah. So who cares as long yeah. as whatever they decide to address? Yeah, motivation matters, but not in the way that people expect. Um, at the end of the day, to be successful in creating habits and transforming your life, you need to help yourself do what you already want to do. So we're back to maximum number one. So if you don't want to eat kale, don't try to make that a habit. If you don't want to walk on the treadmill, don't pick that one. Pick new habits that you want. So in other words, it's not about adding motivation after the fact, after you select a new habit. It's picking habits that you want to have and that's really important so help me through now, this though because no one wants to eat yeah. kale well my daughter wants to eat kale but i don't want to eat kale but i want to <laughs> i want to be healthy i want to feel good but i want to eat yeah. cheetos right yeah, so but so, it's not so you're talking about here's the, yeah here's the process here that i unpack in the book in detail but i'll give a summary here when so your aspiration is i want to let's say i want to eat better i want to eat healthier food so that's the aspiration now, your next step is then to come up with a whole bunch of different behaviors that would lead to you eating better. And, I, and in my work, I call it magic wanding. It's a kind of brainstorming. And so you spend maybe 10 minutes saying, oh, I could eat kale. I could drink more water. I could eat fermented foods for breakfast every morning. I could boom, boom. So say you come up with 10 or 20 options. And can those then include the negative side of it? Can those include, like, I won't eat donuts? Yeah, it could be stop eating donuts. Right. But let's say, let's say you come up with 20 options, all of which would help you eat better, any of which would help you eat better. Then you go back and you pick one or two or three. You don't do all 20. You pick a handful that have these three criteria. Number one, it's actually going to be effective in helping you eat better. Um, so it has impact. Number two. Pick 
the behavior you want to do and and that you can do so those three are those are the three criteria for what i call a golden behavior so of those 20 options you're looking for golden behavior they're going to have impact they can help you eat better healthier you want to do it and you can't and in your case kale is not going to be a golden behavior in the case of your daughter it might be so in the tiny habits method and behavior design it's not about prescribing kale it's Here's this process where you can discover the right habit for you, the golden behavior that you're going to want to do and you can do, and you'll rely, you'll be able to make it into a habit, but you won't have to force yourself to do it. It'll, it will be like, oh my gosh, I wanted to do this for a long time. I just need to make it a little bit easier, and boom, figure out what's prompting me, and then I'm on my way. So, the, the, so the. The question around motivation, most people think, oh, you know, I'm going to pick something that I don't really want to do and somehow figure out how to motivate myself to do it. That's the wrong direction. From the beginning, pick new habits that you actually want, not ones that feel like should. Right. And then you, you said before about the positive emotions that are surrounding that behavior. Yeah. So but sometimes there's, I'll call it fake until you make it, because if I really like donuts for breakfast, but I'm suddenly eating, <laughs> literally, I'll eat chicken for breakfast. So if I'm yeah. suddenly eating chicken, you go, well, this doesn't taste like a donut. But I love the fact you have something else that you tell people to do, like you reward yourself, you go, awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, nobody's, nobody's perfect, and nobody is perfect at creating habits. Um, and I talk about the mindset. So one of the chapters, I talk about how behavior change is a skill, and one of those skills is having this mindset around change. And part of that mindset is don't expect yourself to be perfect. And part of that mindset is explore and iterate. If something's not working, try something else, and don't blame yourself. Don't get down on yourself. It, that's not helpful. Just see it as a design process, like you're designing a room, and if you put a painting on the wall, not the painting on the wall, a big chair. If you put a chair in a certain part of the room and it doesn't fit there, no big deal. Try some other place. And that's how you should look at your habits. If you try something and it doesn't work, no big deal. Try something else. And so it's not really about trying to be perfect or figuring out the perfect thing from the beginning. It's a process of discovering what works for you. And all along in the process, you're not beating yourself up. That is absolutely not helpful. You are recognizing when you succeed and feeling great about it. And then when it doesn't work out like you expected, you go, oh, well, and you try something else. And right. so, yeah, so that's, it's, it's a different approach to changing your habits in your life than what people traditionally hear. And I'm so excited to put it out there and say, yeah. hey, it's a process of change where you change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. Yes, but you also give yourself that positive reinforcement where you go like, you just just congratulate yourself that you tried even if it ends yeah. up that you need to switch it you're still giving yourself a high five for doing it yeah. at all yeah yeah let me, let, let me go to that so that is in tiny habits you know there are three hacks that have come together for the first time um, you make the the new habit you want super tiny so it's like two push-ups uh, or drink more water just fill up the glass of water you're not even drinking it you're just filling up the glass you find where it fits in your life, and we may get to that later. But as you do the new habit, as you do the two push-ups or fill up the glass of water, 
you fire off a positive emotion. So in tiny habits, we call that celebration. You celebrate that you did, that you filled as a glass. I'm holding a glass of water right now as I speak. You celebrate that you filled up or you do two push-ups and you go, awesome. You find a way to spark a positive emotion inside yourself, that feeling of success. And that is a skill. The ability to fire off that positive emotion is a skill. Some people are better than others. Everyone can learn to do it. Everyone can learn to get better. And so as you do that, as you fire off that positive emotion, what you're doing is you're telling your brain, you're rewiring your brain, you're saying, hey, remember this. Remember, this made me feel good. Doing two push-ups made me feel successful, pouring a glass of water. So then your brain will remember and make it more automatic to do those behaviors. So what you're doing is you're hacking your emotions in order to supercharge the speed of habit formation in your life. And the better you are at feeling that positive emotion, the faster you can create habits. I love that. Like I should, I exercise every day, but then when I get done, I go, oh God, thank goodness I'm done. Versus I should go, awesome. <laughs> like I should be really, yeah. I mean, I feel good when I do it and I'm very committed to it. But yeah. I love this, like just shift, just you feel so good when you give yourself that little congratulations. That's yeah, awesome. And some people, so I've trained thousands right. of people in the Tiny Habits Method, and I know that some people resist this, which is not great, and there's ways to help them overcome it. But Sarah, for your example, uh, the going to the gym and working out for an hour, yes, celebrate at the end of your workout, but also celebrate the moment you remember to go to the gym. Oh my gosh, I remember. Good for me, right? Because that, if you don't remember, then you're not going to do it. Yeah. Celebrate as soon as you arrive at the gym. It's like, good for me, I'm here, or whatever makes you feel positive. Right? I celebrate the minute so I get that lycra on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, you got it. Okay, so so if you wait to the very end, then you're you're not really, so you can actually help reinforce the yes. behavior at earlier stages. Right. And I'm going to share kind of a secret. No, it's not a huge secret. So in my book, this emotion this feeling of success that we have inside when we ace an exam or we do a really good putt or we look at the kitchen after we cleaned it and it looks amazing. That feeling, that emotion has no name. And I've talked to four of my academic colleagues who are experts in emotion, like, okay, I now here's what I'm doing in tiny habits. This is what I'm having people do to wired in. They're like, wow, that's awesome, that's great. Said, but what's the name of the emotion? And the summary is, we don't have a word for it. It's not pride. So in my book, in Tiny Habits, I give that emotion a name, and I researched a whole bunch of different options, and and, uh, and the name that uh, we settled on in the research is Shine. I love shine that. Shine is the name of Shine. Yeah, so Shine is the name of the emotion that you feel when you feel successful, and that's what wires in the habit. So what you're doing is setting yourself up to feel Shine. Or as you, whenever you do a behavior that you want to become more automatic in your life, feel shine. And if you learn to fire up shine on demand, you will be, you give yourself superpowers for creating habits and changing your life. And in some ways, that's not at all the traditional way of thinking about habits, but that is the core. And that's why I said earlier on, we went right to the core. Well, it helps yourself feel successful. Yeah, it just feels good. All right, let's talk about environment. How important is environment? I know, I know it's something that you've talked Super. about. 
it, it, there's really two levers here. So when you look at how to change your behavior in the long term, you have make these small changes. Uh, of course, I, I think the tiny habits method is the best way, but make small changes in the environment. And the other way is to redesign your environment. So there's only two ways. It's the incremental small changes, and then there's redesign your environment or context. There's only two ways. And they go hand in hand, and it's good to do both. For some behavior, Sarah, especially like stopping habits, um, what you really need to do is redesign your environment to make it harder to do. So now we're going back to my behavior model. So let's, one thing, Sarah, I'm going to confess, for years I had an addiction. And I know people are going to laugh at me for this addiction, but it was a problem in my life, and it was a popcorn addiction. Every, most every night, watching American Idol, or So You Think You Can Dance, or whatever, you know, Guilty Pleasure TV show, uh, I would eat popcorn, and not just a little bit. I would eat tons of popcorn. The whole bowl, and, right? Oh, two bowls, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, like massive. <laughs> you, have, and, and, you say that like it's a bad thing. I'm a, I'm a popcorn bowl girl. Okay, well, you know, for some people it's working for them. For me, it really became a problem. Yes. I gained weight. Yeah. I felt terrible. I'd eat so much. I felt sick. I'd wake up in the morning. I wouldn't feel good. You needed it to dance up. with the shows, BJ. <laughs> Get. But here's how I solved it. Here's how I solved it. Uh, and it, did, it wasn't just one time. I mean, this was like I tried, and I tried, and I tried. And finally what happened, and we did this with ice cream as well. Oh, my gosh, ice cream. I love ice cream. So what happened was we redesigned our home environment. Say there can be no popcorn in the house. There can be no popcorn paraphernalia in the house. Same thing with ice cream. Yeah, we can eat ice cream if we go to a dinner party or a restaurant, whatever. But we cannot bring ice cream into the house. And so by redesigning our home environment, it made popcorn a lot harder to do. It made ice cream a lot harder to do. Yes, there were times when I was like, you know, watching who knows what, you know, Modern Family, and I was like, yeah, popcorn be nice right now. And I would get in the car, drive to the store, buy the popcorn, bring it home, you know, do the popcorn thing. But then I would throw it all away. So it was, at times, one of the most important things you can do is redesign your environment to make the behaviors you don't want hard to do or impossible to do. So because now there's no way I could tackle the motivation component and then the prompt component I couldn't tackle either. So the only option I had was ability, you know, making it, reducing my ability, making it harder to do. So let me ask you a dirty question. So fast forward now, I don't know how long ago okay. you changed your environment. If uh -huh. have you effectively suppressed that habit so that if you had yeah. popcorn in your in your house now, you could have an appropriate serving versus two big bowls? <laughs> um, that's such a good question. Uh, what I know is if there's popcorn around, I won't eat it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I go to a party or I'm walking through the hardware store and there often see popcorn. I actually avoid it. What I don't know is can I have an appropriate serving? I just I, I just know for me that that is a slippery slope. I don't have it at all. If I just yeah. say no, and for me to just say no entirely is the right answer on popcorn. Now there's other things like social media and whatever where you can scale back and it's like, okay, I'm only gonna check Facebook for birthdays in the morning and I'm done. But for your question, the truth on the popcorn and the ice cream, 
Uh, we don't bring it into the house. And I, I think if I were to bring popcorn or ice cream back in the house and think, okay, now I can really control and just only eat a little bit, I'd be on my way to eating cold and popcorn again. Mm. So I've learned that about me. For that particular behavior, it's just no. It's just the answer is no. I'm not doing popcorn at home. We're not bringing popcorn in the house. And that's how, and you know what? I don't even really want popcorn. I don't have the craving for it anymore. So it does go away. I was actually going to say, do you ever do things where you replace? So it's you, you replace one habit with another. So instead of the popcorn, you were eating carrots, or instead of the popcorn, you were yeah. eating, you know, I don't know, yeah, whole I, grain something. Yeah, yeah, I tried some of that, and some of that worked. Um, the bigger picture here, Sarah, and um, first of all, when it comes to breaking bad habits, I don't like the word breaking. We can talk about that later because it's not about breaking. It's more about untangling. Yes. So when it comes to stopping those bad habits, there is nobody in the world who's the world's expert on it. So I'm a world's expert on creating habits. I, I've taught more people. I have more data on it. I, I mean, and I'm pretty confident saying I am the world's expert on helping people create habits. Flip side is, I'm, you know, stopping habits which is a different process. There's nobody who has emerged as a world's expert. I get asked that all the time. It's a really hard territory. So in, uh, so I do have a chapter in my book on it, and I really pulled together what I think is, um, you know, I did extra research just for this chapter, and there is a three-phase process to untangle any, you know, or break, if you want to use that word, but untangle any unwanted behavior you have. There's three phases. Phase one, is create new habits. The first phase is actually create new habits, good habits. And there's a few reasons for that. You learn the skills of change, you develop confidence you can change, and your identity shifts, okay? And so for some people, all they have to do is create new habits and some of the unwanted habits will fade away. If that doesn't resolve your issue, you go to phase two and you work on just stopping the behavior. So you can stop it by removing the prompt, we're back to my behavior model, remove the prompt, make it harder to do or remove motivation, any one of those things. So if you can make popcorn impossible to do, you're done. If that doesn't work, if you can't just stop it, then you go to phase three and that's swapping. So phase three is not the first step, it's the last step when the other things haven't worked and then you try to find an alternative for the popcorn, an alternative for the ice cream or an alternative for the social media binge that you do. And, but that's phase three. So many bloggers out there say, oh, you have to swap a habit in order to stop it. That's not true. You can simply stop some habits. Um, it's phase three, last resort, where you go, okay, uh, this hasn't just, you know, I wasn't able to just stop it. So now I have to find how to swap it. And there's a process for that. And I've mapped that out in actually <laughs> a lot of detail uh, in uh, the book. And in the appendix is a flow chart. They wouldn't let me put the flow chart in the actual book. So it's in the appendix, but it shows, so I'm a systems guy. Like, here's the first step. If this doesn't work, do this, do this, do this. So it's, it's very systematic, and it really maps very, very well to success cases. Well, I also just love conceptually that it's not the punitive stopping the bad habits, but the focus on developing the good habits. And also yeah. the, the breaking down the... the you know, I, I think you said somewhere that, you know, a bad habit is a tangled knot. Like, the, you know, it's a very yeah. complex. Yeah. So, and, and so, and this is why I, I do think it's an important thing to help people understand it. If there's an unwanted behavior you have, 
first of all, don't beat yourself up over it. And it may be that focusing on untangling that is not a good idea at the beginning. Instead, create other new habits in your life. Create habits of tidiness, of hydration, of stress reduction, things you want. And often what happens is just by doing that, it your bad habit will unwind itself or it will become a lot easier to address. That's exactly what, I'll name names, a woman named Junie, uh, who's worked with me in my boot camp and so on, and she was actually a radio host in Chicago, really, really active, wonderful person, had a sugar addiction. Her first step in resolving it was to create a whole bunch of new positive habits in her life, and she did that, and that then set her up to, with the skills and confidence to be able to attack this sugar problem, which she's had for years. Her mom died of complications from diabetes. Her sister's alone on the same path, so she had all the motivation in the world to tackle her sugar addiction, but she couldn't do it directly. She had to kind of sneak up on this monster from behind. And I think that's, um, that's a good example for people that are struggling with habits that they can't quite untangle, that, great, shift gears away from, shift the focus away from that and focus on new habits that you want and start gaining skills and confidence in acquiring these new habits. So I think I know how you're going to answer this and that you actually did just answer that, but I'm going to raise the word excuses because people Mm -hmm. love to be attached to their excuses of why they can't break habits so that they even, even to think about creating a new habit, they're still so busy attached to, but I can't not eat popcorn while I'm watching. So you think you can dance. So how do you address people and their excuses or is that beyond your purview? Well, I'm going to go back to my first maxim. Help yourself do what you already want to do. If you want to keep eating popcorn, fine. Keep eating popcorn. That's fine. I mean, it really is. I mean, right. Now, if it's light. So right. the light bulb has to want to change, and there's nothing unless they actually want to do away with those bad habits, then they will continue to be stuck with them and living that, that life. Well, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of a, a bad habit I have in my life that I'm okay with. Um, oh. I, I do social media every morning to see what's going on with my friend's birthdays for about five minutes. Hmm. Is it a great habit? No. I'm okay with it, though, because it's not ruining my life, and in some ways it helps me feel like I'm staying connected. So I guess what I'm saying is if it's an addiction and if it's really threatening your life or your well-being, then get help. Get the right help. If it's just kind of annoying you, then... Maybe maybe it's not what you worry about. I mean, and certainly don't make yourself feel bad. I mean, there's so many ways you can improve your life, and and it doesn't mean you have to get rid of every like you know five minute social media in the morning habit that you have. Yeah. I mean, um, so it's not about perfection. But again, if it is a serious, life threatening, or somehow very damaging behavior, yes, get help. And you're going to need more than the tiny habits method and more than a book. You're, you may need real professional help if it's a serious thing. Yes, tackle that. But if it's like popcorn and it's just an annoyance that the house is messy every day and you, you like your popcorn habit, sure, keep the popcorn habit. Here's what happens though, there. As people start changing their life and feeling successful, let's say they don't want to address the popcorn habit, but as they start to change, they open themselves up to other changes. So change leads to change. So uh, you said earlier you don't like kale. 
Um, but it might be that as you start eating other types of foods, there'll come a day it's like, man, maybe I'll try kale. Oh my gosh. And there might be yes. time your taste changes and you actually like kale. So this, the way that you transform your life is a process. And you start where you want to start. Start where you want to start. Just like if you're growing a garden, you know, you plant the seeds and you keep it nurtured and it will grow and develop. Um, and that's, that's how we should view how we're you know, running our life. Uh, focus on what you want. And then that popcorn habit that, you know, you know it's not a great thing. Uh, if it's not what you want to change right now, don't worry about it. Focus on the things that you want. Yeah, but it seems that based on what you're saying, aside from, as we said, like serious drug addictions or things like that, given going back to your, your formula, given enough motivation, given uh-huh. appropriate environment, given appropriate prompts, you can break virtually any habit. You can, you can create any habit and you can, re- I'll call it replace yeah. rather than break any habit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a process of design and iteration. You can design things into your life and you can design things out of your life. And your context, going back to that question, at least for you know, stopping unwanted behavior. So the context is huge. It's huge. So if I'm sitting here at home and everybody around me is eating popcorn and I'm trying to stop, guess what? It's not going to happen. Right. I'm going to eventually break down and eat popcorn. Uh, if I am not drinking and I go to parties where all my friends are drinking, that's going to be tough. So it's, you know, part of it is redesigning the environment around you. And if it's family members or people you can't avoid that are doing the habit that you want to stop, that truly is a hard situation. And um, because our environment controls our behaviors in ways we don't even want to acknowledge. So, um, you know, environment, figure out how do I shift my environment to make this behavior less motivating or harder to do or take away the prompt. Um, That's what you're looking at when you're trying to stop the behavior. It's any one of those three components. So if it's like your family member or your work colleague, that's, that's hard. You know, I'm not going to pretend there's a magic answer to that. If you're hanging out with family members who are eating popcorn all the time and you want to stop, that's hard um, because it's going to be so easy and so motivating. Yes. And the prompt is right there. They're eating popcorn. <laughs> no, I hate when that happens. Um, so, <laughs> But then, as you say, every, every success builds on, excels, on itself. You have a phrase you call success mo- momentum, um, mm-hmm. which... Can you def- define that? Because I think you've been talking about it, but just, just define yeah. that specifically. So here's what is so, well, first of all, you know, now that we have a word for this feeling of shine, then we can talk about it and say, okay, am I helping my son feel shine or my daughter feel shine? Am I helping my students feel shine? Am I helping myself feel shine? What sh- shine, yes, will wire in the habit uh, to make it, wire in the behavior to make it more automatic and become a habit. And then shine has these other positive effects. It motivates you to continue to do the behavior and, this is really important, related behavior. So it has ripple effects. So if I start, uh, let's say, uh, if I start eating one type of fermented food and I feel successful, then I'm like, oh, let me try some other types of fermented food. So it motivates, it expands your, um, shall I call it, your willingness to change in other areas, and it also shifts your identity. Like, oh, I'm the kind of person who eats fermented food. So, oh, what else is a fermented food? 
So that identity shift, as you reclassify yourself, I'm the kind of person that eats healthy. I'm the kind of person that works out. I'm the kind of person that um, reduces my stress. Then that has this ripple effect on other behaviors that you do. So that's one impact. The other has to do with just confidence and skills. You know, having some, in academics, we'd call it self-efficacy, but here I'm gonna just call it confidence that you can change and then there's, you know, like I said, there's skills have changed. And so success momentum, so the, I, I, I created that phrase success momentum to describe the, the power or force or the momentum you build up by having successes in your life. And what's surprising, it's not the size of the success that matters, it's the frequency of the successes. So frequent, any successes will give you this sense of, yep, I can do, I can do, I can do this. Uh, and it's just like momentum in the real world. If you yes. have momentum and there's a little uh, speed bump, you can get through it. Without momentum, you can't. So you can get through the setback. So what you're focusing on is not the size of your achievement. Like, oh, after 30 days, I'm going to have lost 20 pounds and then I'm going to celebrate. That's the wrong way to think about it. And by the way, 20 pounds in a month, that would be like, <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, it's how can you design so you have a lot of successes, and our brain seems not to distinguish very well between big successes and tiny ones. So the tiny successes can feel very big, and they can have the same kind of impact, positive impact in your life. I love it. Start with little, and they grow and grow. BJ Fogg, thank you so much. Your book, Tiny Habits, you can learn more about BJ and his work, tinyhabits.com and bjfogg.com. And anyone who's listening, if you like this podcast, please go ahead, rate the podcast, review the podcast so that we can get more people listening. Thank you so much, BJ. Thank you, Sarah. I'm talking to BJ Fogg, behavioral scientist and inventor of Tiny Habits Methodology for Behavioral Change. BJ's process for creating new habits starts with tiny commitments and tiny behaviors that over time grow and change lives. His methodology works for anyone who wants to break a bad habit or create a new good one. This is just one example of what our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, is all about. We work with thousands of top experts, not just in human behavior, but in all aspects of your life, including managing the healthcare system, financial planning, living a healthy life, how to save money on travel, insurance, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people live more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.